Um, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right. Thank you, John. Meg, appreciate that. All right. The young ones can go to your classes. Right. Oh. The floor's a little uneven in this spot. Let's just uh Nope, maybe it's this thing, isn't it? It's the speaker. <laughs> Father, we are so so thankful. Not just in this season, but continually for your love for us. And we thank you for John the message he will bring us. Have your spirit rest upon him. Bring the words that we need to hear for healing, for strength and encouragement. Thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Look at you. So before we get going, I want to say, it looks nice in here, doesn't it? You're welcome. No. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, so for those who don't know, Linda is the boss. Most of us know Linda's the boss, right? But I just want to make sure that everyone knows that not only does she make the wreaths and the bows, she probably doesn't want me telling everybody, but whatever. She packs. She packed her whole car up this time, didn't even ask for help. I don't know how she got those wreaths in her trunk. I barely got them out, but yeah, I, I know. I, I know it wasn't easy. I tell you what. Um, but Selena and Josie and Will also did, were a big help, and Greg kind of helped. Like he was, he was supposed to be a big help, but he was like helping someone that just got out of jail or something stupid like that. So uh, that's it's not stupid, you know. Actually, he's going to share quickly about that at the end of the. I think at the end of this sermon, I think that'll be really great. Um, perfect timing. We did, I did think to myself, we said this. Oh, Matt helped a ton. Dude, I'm sorry, Matt. Matt came down from lunch and put up the whole tree, Matt. And I think you put up the wreaths too, didn't you? Look at that. That was actually a huge help. I think everyone should put the decorations up once so you can appreciate them more. <laughs> 
stuff takes a long time to put up if you haven't done it before. And that tree with all those ornaments on there. And we have, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a fun time, though, isn't it? All right, so it's Advent season. Yay, I love this time. Is it the most wonderful time of year? Probably. For me, I just I love this time of year. It's so exciting. Thanksgiving is over, which was wonderful. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I gained four pounds, so, and I worked out every day, so I tell you, I got to watch what I eat. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a bummer to step on the scales this morning and be like, dang. All right, it's going to take me two or three weeks to fix that problem. I uh, hope you all had great Thanksgivings. We really did. Now we can officially put up our Christmas trees and decorations, right? I mean, I did it before, but now I'm okay. Ryan, are we, am I okay with that? He's one of the ones that says adamantly we can't get it until after Thanksgiving, right? Oh, that's a good point. So the Macy's Day Parade is the, is this, that's the line right there. Okay, I broke the rules this year, but I've been loving every minute of it, as Kramer would say. Um, so I want to invite us, like this time of year, we all know it gets hectic and all kinds of stuff going on, Right. Like, when we're planning things for church, like, oftentimes we don't do much, like, during, besides Sunday mornings, because we know everyone's got family to go to, everyone's got office parties to go to, you have Christmas shopping, you have all these things going on, and if you plan a prayer meeting in the middle of December, it's going to be even worse attended than it normally is, right? Like, it's tough, but there's a lot going on. A lot of it's good. A lot of it's great to spend time with friends and family and coworkers and stuff like that. I'm not, that's great. But I'm going to encourage us this year as we did last year. Um, last year we, we did Advent as a community, as a family, and it was, personally loved it. I personally loved taking time, creating space in the hustle and bustle of Christmas to meditate on, pray about, think about the arrival, which that's what Advent means. It means arrival. So the arrival of Christ, the Christos, you all know what that means? We do, right? Yeah, that's right. So it's the anointed. There's, remember, remember this, y'all, that uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. That, that will uh, scare you for the first time when you know there's more anointed. <laughs> there's more Christos in the Bible than just Jesus. But, um, yeah, it just there is. There's anointed kings and all kinds of stuff through the scriptures, but there was far more things that are even more special about him. We'll get there. But it's thinking upon, I try to identify with Israel. That's what I'm trying to do this year. I'm trying to go back to the longings that Israel had to have, uh, waiting for this Christos, waiting for this anointed to come, and then putting myself in also longing for his return as well, that he will come back again. This is basically just amen to everything that Andrew just said. I mean, seriously, like he's up there going, I'm like, that's in my sermon, that's in my sermon, that's in my sermon. In fact, I, uh, he used the word dreaming a couple of times, and I decided to title this sermon Dreaming with Isaiah and God. And dreaming not just like, oh, I have these wild dreams that maybe one day I'll make $20 million. Like expanding our imagination for what does it look like that Christ has come and his kingdom is among us. And as we anticipate him coming again, what, is he, what does he have for us? Uh, I'm excited about it. Next slide, please. Boom. We're going to be using this book. I put it on Discord and I sent an email. So for those who are like, well, it's, I did both. Um, I super encourage you to get this. 
it was Greg recommended it from a recommendation. So, so far it's stellar. I haven't read the whole thing through, but it's really, really good so far. Um, it's eleven nine. I'm just gonna get really specific. It's eleven ninety nine on Amazon, and you can get it by Tuesday if you order it within the next sixteen hours as of this morning. <laughs> If you want even faster than that, it's $9.99 on your Kindle. And by the way, if you don't have a Kindle and you don't know, I'm just giving you can download a Kindle app if you want to read it on your phone, and you can download it for $9.99. It's really, you know, pretty cheap. If you can't afford it, let us know and someone will donate a book to you. We'll figure it out and like but this is cool because it has readings for us every day, and which I sent out as well. Did y'all see that? It starts today. The readings start today. Um, but it's only got it's like two pages or something like that per reading. So we're talking about disciplines last week. Remember that? Us thinking through, let us, I'm going to encourage us big time to set aside 10 or 15 minutes a day to read through, to meditate a little bit, to pray through what Brian Zond has, because I think so far it's very, very good. Uh, and encourage us all to even maybe have a night a week that we do this with the family, that with our families, if we have children at home, um, or with our spouses, or with our girlfriends or boyfriends who are our friends, uh, sit down, whether we have an Advent wreath at home or not, and just spend a little, spend some time meditating on this. I think it will, when I did this last year, it really did slow my season down and help me to appreciate what actually matters uh, in, the, in, the, in the hustle and bustle. And I feel like God was just awesome during that time. So inviting us to do this as a community. Sound good? Yeah, let's go. Awesome. Okay, cool. So, next slide. I want to reiterate before we dive into the scripture today that as Andrew said, this is the answer. He is the answer. (laughs) That this is what this whole season is about. It's about his first arrival and it's about looking forward to his second arrival. It is about this anointed one. And we'll see in Isaiah and all these different places, who is this one? What is he like? What is he going to do? Like, I love this kind of like mysterious, like look at who is this figure? We know who he is, but putting ourselves back and thinking through this, he's the Christos, he's the anointed, he's Messiah, and that's what this whole season is going to focus on. So let's dive in. Ready? Boom! Go to Genesis. Three. It would help if I gave you the verse. I asked John to light the candles this morning and didn't tell him what color to light. So, you know, there goes, that's, that's good for me. Next slide, please. Ah. Uh, That came out even grainier than I thought it would. My bad, y'all. So starting Advent, all the way back in Genesis, this is your reading for the day. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to go over every single day in the messages. I'll pick one, two, three highlights, and then through the week we'll be reading these things. If we are talking about the arrival of an anointed one, I like how Zahn starts off with giving us, why do we even need an anointed one? Do we need somebody? Do we need a Messiah? (laughs) Do we need something? And I think in Genesis chapter 3, we get a resounding screaming with a megaphone. Yes, yes, absolutely we do. So before we read, I will start in verse 1. Before we read this, reminding everyone, God creates everything. And besides man not having a woman, everything's beautiful right? Everything's good, everything's good, everything's good, but it's not good that man's alone. I think that's important for what ends up happening at the end of this. Because Adam is adamant, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, he's all excited about this woman. 
until something happens, and then we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Everything seems beautiful. Everything seems wonderful. It's like the movies that start off and everything's perfect, like the perfect family or a group of bros or a group of girls. They're hanging out together, and then something horrible happens, right? And then pff, it sets the trajectory for, okay, now pff, what's going to happen to these people? Is this going to be solved? Is justice going to be had? So what happens here? I mean, we're only on chapter three of this narrative, of this creation narrative. This hasn't been a lot that it's shared. And then all of a sudden, this scene begins to unfold. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. Boom, a serpent shows up. Don't you wish there was a little more information here? I don't know, I can just sit around and just think about that. Like, dang it, like... (laughs) Who is this? What is this? What's going on? Why have all this great creation that all of a sudden this serpent shows up? And I would love to tell you I know the answers to it all, but I don't. I don't. There's this serpent. There's this crafty, this cunning serpent that shows up. More craftier than any other wild animal. Okay. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. Brandon made a good point last week. He said every good hero has a great villain. (laughs) And we see the villain of evil, deception, start to begin to come in at this moment. And I want us to put ourselves here because this scene that happens with Adam and Eve and the serpent, we have done a thousand times in our lives, personally. Like the very first thing that he says is, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Like, think of the sin, let's just, let's just think of the sin we struggle with the most. Everyone, think about that. We're going to put ourselves in that. But I mean, really, think of the thing that like, you're like, man, ah, ah. How often do you start off with the questioning of if you're ready to partake in that? Go, well, I don't know. Is it really that bad? I don't know. <laughs> Did God really say? Maybe I should. No, let me read that scripture again. Right? You have this like r- internal struggle, this wrestling with what he says. Is it, it? Is that what he said? The woman says to the serpent, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. She answers pretty rightly, like, just like, okay, yeah, I know that this is probably not bad. This is probably, not, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to eat this. I'm not supposed to drink this. I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm not supposed to gossip, but it feels so good on the tongue, ah, right? I'm not supposed to cheat on my taxes, but man, I need some more money. Or lie to my boss, but I could get a promotion. You know, you have all these things, and these things are right there. And you know what's right, but you're still wrestling internally. Again, we've done this. This happens, I would say, very, very often to us. The serpent responds and says to the woman, you will not die. It's not that bad, right? You're not going to kill anyone if you do this. You're not going to ruin your family, maybe. <laughs> you're not, it's not going to like destroy your job. It's not that bad. In fact... For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then here comes that internal voice that goes, yeah, and it's going to be really good though, right? It's going to be super fun. (laughs) And you're like, at this point, you're like, yes, I think it will be very fun. (laughs) No one else does this, right? I'm the only one that's ever done this before. Like, "Mm, that sounds, that's 
I'm, I'm liking what I'm hearing. <laughs> so when, in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and saw that it was a delight to the eyes, here we go, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Like that's when you get, that's what I feel. I feel that lust of the eyes thing like, whoa, I want that. Come on now, let's go. Right? I mean, do you see this struggle here? This struggle, this, this beautiful picture of what God had set up, and we see this evil beginning to enter into it. Lusting for things, questioning whether what God's given us is really all that we want. Yeah, but I know, but I really want that. You know, is it really that bad? Uh, I mean, I don't think we're supposed to, but I don't know. It looks great. Takes the fruit and eats. Pretty sure all of us have done this hundreds of times in our life <laughs> where we said, yeah, well, that was pretty awesome. I'm, gonna, I'm going for it. But then we immediately see the repercussions. Like God doesn't just make up rules to be mean or angry. He's a good father, so we don't do that to our children. And what happens is then the eyes of both were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So this shame for their bodies that they had never experienced comes in. And the darkness just continues to come in, right? Perfect couple hanging out in the garden. I've said this before. That sounds awesome. Like hanging out with the garden and with a naked lady and just gardening it up and the Lord's walking with you. Like, I don't know about you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Sounds awesome to me. Now we have to wear dead gum loincloths. What the heck? We're sowing fig leaves around ourselves. This is what evil does. It tells you that you're going to have a better time and then you have a worse time. It's true, though. You're like, oh, man. Man, I wonder how many times like, they thought back, man, that was the good old days. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Uh, doesn't, you know, we don't get a ton of stuff in Genesis to know all the backstory. I'm assuming this is maybe the first time, probably, <laughs> that they've hid themselves from the Lord. That where in the past they would probably be excited to see God. Isn't that wild thinking of walking with God in the cool of the day? I, my mind doesn't, can't even really go there, but sounds cool. But I, to really say, like, what would that be like? But like, instead of walking with him now, there's this like real fear from someone who they should be happy to see. We, we've done that, right, when, when we were children. We love our daddy or mommy, but when we do something wrong, we're like, oh, I do not want to be around them. <laughs> no matter how, like, okay they are, like, they don't, maybe, maybe they're not, like, super mad about it or something, but we just don't want, we want to shy away. See, we immediately get to see this beautiful relationship start to be strained. I think that's one of the things that sin really does, that evil really does when it comes in, is you'll see it breaks relationships big time. I've said this before, like one of my telltale signs that someone is really struggling spiritually is when they want to disconnect from community, like every time, right? It's just like, oh, there's something going on. That's a red flag for me. There's something going on there. But when the Lord called to the man and he said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, he knew that God would notice that he's got fig leaves around. He's feeling awkward, feeling shame and it says that he said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And of course the man says, yes, Father, I did, and I repent. You see what evil does and how if you're, if you, that, this is why repentance is actually so important, by the way. <laughs> because it's, very, it's, it's our human nature to want to blame it on someone else or justify our actions. To actually repent and go, I, that was wrong, I'm actually going to change. That's, that's, <laughs> that's only in our God-given nature that we can have that. Because you see here in humanity, it says, the man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. The darkness continues to come in. He blames God. It's your fault. Any parents ever had their kids blame them for something absolutely ludicrous that they did? Jonah does that sometimes. Is he up there? There's just certain times. I don't want to, I don't want to, I love him. But it would be like, you know, I was thinking of like, you ever like maybe tell your kids to go clean the room and they get in some big fight argument and one of them's crying and they called me this and all that. And you go up and they say, well, you made us clean our room up. Like it's your fault. Like that's, this is what's happening, right? Adam's like, well, you gave me this woman. Not only is he blaming God, he's blaming the woman. Like, well, I mean, you know, I had to, God. Then the Lord said to the woman, this is verse 13, what is this that you've done? And the woman, you know, she owned up to it too. The serpent, the serpent duped me. There is this spiraling of evil. This is deception. This is lies. This is, this is just, uh, just trying to justify you doing something wrong. Instead of owning up to it, it continues to spiral. And as Andrew mentioned, it spirals into having children, and the first set of children that we see in the Scripture literally kill the other one. Like, this is like dark, fast. Like, congratulations, humanity. We did really, really well. In verse 14, and we're not going to read all of this, we're just going to read two verses here. Uh, the Lord, uh, we're going to read what he says to the serpent. Our passage this week is 3.15. I would encourage you, if you're just reading the passage, you don't have the book yet, like read the whole chapter, just reading one verse, just like that is kind of, it's tough to get much from that. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, verse 15, next slide, is what we're, the passage today. This is what people, many people call the proto-evangelium, the first declaration of the gospel. I'll put enmity between you. He's saying this to the serpent. So he's going to create, there's going to be hostility between the serpent and there's going to be hostility between the woman. Between the serpent's offspring and her offspring. So this is word from the Lord. Guess what? This is going to happen. This is part of letting evil come in. You are going to constantly be dealing with this. It says, he will strike your head. Again, he's saying that to the serpent. And you will strike its hill. So humanity is going to constantly have this evil nipping at us. There's always going to be these temptations that are coming in, these different things that want to grab hold of us. But there's an offspring. There's something going on where the serpent's head is going to be struck 
Well, that's interesting. Let's leave it there. <laughs> Let's pause. Let's go into Isaiah. Let's think about this idea that there will be some, someone, something, some offspring that will actually strike the head of the serpent. Next slide, please. Zond actually has, I think, Isaiah for the rest of the week. I'm going to look at two. We're going to look at two verses this morning, and we'll be finished. Two sections. But there's so much that happens <laughs> between this terrible, hor- horrible, horrific thing that takes place in the garden and Isaiah, who is 700-ish years before we see this Messiah. But in four weeks of Advent, you can't go over it all, right? <laughs> there's God's calling of a people. There's that people being enslaved to Egypt, to another country, another nation. There are kings that rise up in Israel that want to do what's right and what's just. There are kings that it says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we go. Up and down. Sometimes Israel is on top and doing well, and sometimes just like oppressed and struggling. And then all of a sudden, well, maybe not all of a sudden, but we get this prophet, Isaiah, who's probably the most popular prophet, most quoted, I believe, prophet in the Old Testament. I love Isaiah. And you know why I like Isaiah? Because he's artsy. He's poetic. He said, like, I just like that kind of stuff. People who are artsy like artsy things, and people who aren't are like, oh, just tell me what you want me to know. Like, I don't need no flowery fluff. Just give me the truth. But Isaiah does that, and so he does it often, and he's like giving these prophetic words and this like poetic language, and you're not sure when one thing ends and when another thing begins, and you have to really dive in and go, I think that's what he's saying. I think the Lord's speaking this through him. I think he's going on to this. I'm not sure. There's all this wrestling, I, but I love it, actually. I think it's, I think it's fun. I, I love Isaiah. But Isaiah 2 is where we're going to be. And then we'll go to Isaiah 9, which is what Meg read. So go to Isaiah 2, please. And to understand a lot of this this idea, I think, of, of Advent, to understand the prophets often, let me just reiterate the idea that Hebrews, the Hebrew people thought, think cyclically. And so you're going to have these prophetic words that are giving, given that have to do with right then and there but often have to do with a deeper fulfillment later, and maybe even a deeper fulfillment later. And so in Isaiah chapter 2, at the beginning, Isaiah is in several different sections, but at the beginning of Isaiah, we're going to see primarily this is before the Assyrians have come in to exile northern Israel. A lot of Isaiah warning Israel, telling them what they've done wrong, but in the midst of like this idea, like you're going into exile, there's these blossoms of hope. And you're like, what does that mean? That's interesting, Isaiah. And hope that, I don't know, I wonder if Isaiah understood the full meaning of it. Probably not. But we see that here in Isaiah 2. It says, the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, so the whole of Israel. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, established as the highest of the mountains, 
and shall be raised above the hills, all nations shall stream to it. It'd be nice, Isaiah, if you gave us a little more detail than in the days to come. Because <laughs> that doesn't really narrow it down much, does it? But for people who are not at the top of their game, who there are rumblings of Assyria becoming a power, who actually are going to have civil war and conflict, there's a lot of uncertainty going on during this season that Isaiah is prophesying in. And then to hear this declaration of hope that God, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the highest of the mountains. If you want to go to the next slide, you can. Shall be raised above the hills. Sorry, next slide. I forgot about that. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, go to Israel, you see that it's this up and down terrain. There's hills, and they built the the temple on top of this big hill. There's hills that surround Jerusalem, as the psalmists declare. It's this really hilly land, and Isaiah is going to make this declaration that there's going to be a time when the mountain of the Lord's house, he's talking about Mount Zion, he's talking about the temple, will be raised above the hills. Right? I believe he's speaking figuratively, not literally, that it's going to grow. I know some people that think that that's going to take place, but whatever. could happen. And all the nations shall stream to it. So there's, dis, there's unrest for Isaiah and his contemporaries. What's going to happen? All of a sudden, Isaiah's preaching that not only is there something good coming to Israel, but the place of God's presence that nations, this idea of nations from all over the world are actually going to seek the presence of God. It's As Gentiles who are like on this side of it, we probably don't near understand how big of a deal this is. <laughs> Isaiah's prophesying this. What? People from, from nations all around are going to actually seek the presence of God? And it reminded me of back at the garden. Whenever evil had just entered in and man actually fled from the presence of God. But someone's going to come, which we'll see, that's going to actually have all the peoples of this world actually stream to the presence of God. Something huge has to happen because humanity's inclination is to run from because of sin, because of evil. They're gonna, nations are going to stream? Verse 3 says, Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. The people, peoples are going to desire God's instruction. Do we even desire God's instruction? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is real. Like, it's not going to be something, well, you yeah, know, I guess we'll go up there. Or, I got my salvation. It's like this image of people desiring the rule of God. This image of nations actually wanting to know, to hear instruction. And it says, for out of Zion shall go, shall go forth instruction and the word and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He may teach us his ways. Like, who is this he? What's going on here, Isaiah? There's this incredible figure. You can go to the next slide. 
you get this, uh, this, this picture of this kingly figure, he shall judge between nations. Not only will people desire his instruction, but it says he shall arbitrate for many peoples. There will be people that will come and desire this kingly figure to arbitrate, to be a righteous judge. Isn't that exciting? Because how many judges are righteous, right? I mean, even as man, like, we try our best. Some of them do. I'm sure there's plenty of very corrupt judges out there that are taking bribes and stuff on the side. To think that Isaiah is painting this picture, this dreaming with God, that there will be someone who will actually judge in righteousness? Purely objective. (laughs) Purely right. Purely holy. And then, as Andrew said, it gets even better. It's like, oh my gosh, this gets better and better. What what is going on here? Who is this? What's going to happen? There's a lot of disruption going on here in in our day, Isaiah. You're bringing these interesting (laughs) words forth. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I mean, this the idea of no war, I don't understand quite. I, I mean, I can, I can say I understand there'll be no war, but my personal experience can't fathom what that actually looks like. What, what will it be that a figure comes, he's the judge, he's the arbitrator, and... We're not going to have to deal with this. So much so that I love, I just love Isaiah's flower, his poetic language, beating swords into plowshares. I love it. Spears into print. Let's do it in today's day and age because it's cool. Like, hey, AK-47s are going to plow land now. Right? I know when I bring up guns, people get scared. Sorry. I'm just, this is what the Bible says, right? So they're going to take these weapons that have been used, things that have been used for bad, Swords weren't always used for bad, but man has turned them into bad because of man's hearts. Combat knives used to cut trees. What man has taken these tools and made them for evil, this he, whoever this he is, is going to be so powerful that man is going to start using them for life instead of death. Using, isn't that a, such a cool picture? Like, whereas we have taken these tools and made them deadly, when he comes, they'll bring life. They'll, they'll till ground. They'll prune trees, and life will grow. This is, this is awesome. But I want us to ask ourselves as we read through this, because there's, there's, there's all these layers to this. When Jesus comes, and I don't want to get too deep, far down the road, but when he comes and he says, my kingdom of God, the kingdom has been brought near, are we seeing some of the fulfillment of this even now? Do we see nations streaming to God's instruction? I think so. How can we be agents of that today? As Andrew, you brought up, like, how can we be agents of that? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. How can we be agents of, of peace How can we go to the nations? How can we share the nations? Guess what? We are the nations. (laughs) Right? He was talking to Israel. We're not Israel. We are the nations. We are blessed because of he. As we anticipate the fullness of what Isaiah says, how do we participate today in what's already taking place and what's breaking through? Let's go to Isaiah 9. Next slide. 
And I hope for us to wrestle with that even throughout all of Advent. Because even here as we look at Isaiah 9, there was a very near fulfillment to this. Like happening during Israel's time, but it wasn't the completeness of the the fulfillment of the prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like how we wrestle with the now and the not yet, and what is our participation in that? Isaiah 9, when this is taking place, Assyria is on the doorstep. They're coming soon. There's internal strife because northern Israel, they have formed a coalition and want to go against Assyria, and Judah saying no. And so northern Israel is like, well, let's go. Let's, we're going to fight my brother. So there's this unrest, tons of, tons of unrest taking place here. But Isaiah 9.1 says, But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But later, but in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The, the near fulfillment of this idea, uh, near or fulfillment, is that when the Assyrians came, they went right through the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. They went right through the... They went right through the land, and as they went through the land, they exiled many of the Israelites. Then they imported us, Gentiles, into the land. And then the Israelites that were there and the Gentiles that were there, some of them got together and married each other, and this is how Samaritans happened. And this is why some of the Israelites later on were like, oh, you guys, you're not really pure Israel and like all this kind of stuff, and this is why we hate the Samaritans and the Samaritans hate us. There's all this like this dark stuff that's taking place in, in, with Assyria coming and taking people away. And this is actually saying here that, that where darkness has is, is entered the land, as we're going to see, as exile has taken place, as you've been... Exile and stuff, I don't think we understand that. Could you imagine another country coming in here and we're gone to their country? <laughs> or displaced somewhere else? We're so safe here, quote-unquote. But I mean, imagine that this is horrific. But Isaiah is saying this is going to happen, but there's something glorious that's going to take place. And even Matthew points back to this and said this was fulfilled in Jesus. The, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, so there's so much darkness surrounding this area because of what took place in exile. They've seen a great light, and those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. I mean, this is, in this place of deep darkness, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as when people exalt in dividing plunder. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good time, I guess. I mean, I don't know if I would want to be the one, the reason why I'm dividing plunder, but if there's a bunch of gold laying around, I guess I'm having a pretty good time as we're dividing it up. Here, Lauren, you can take some of this, David. I get this. That's be pretty fun. There's this joy breaking loose in this place that's been dark for so many years. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Again, this is another area where I don't think we quite grasp the weight of this because we've never really been oppressed deeply. But if we were depressed, not oppressed, sorry, by a government, by another country, to see that broken off, like this is, this is incredible, incredible image that Isaiah is painting. This great dream of even though things are dark, it's going to get better. 
For all the boots of the trampling warriors and the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. I love that image. All these people who have just been trampling uh, with these with these um, with their boots, the warriors' boots and these garments that are stained in blood, they're just going to be thrown in the fire. It'll be fuel for fire. And in the midst of all this, he says, "For a child has been born for us." A son has been given. And this, there was a fulfillment of this literally. Like, that took place like, pretty much right after this, a near what we would call fulfillment. I don't, have, I don't think we have time to deal with that today. Authority rests on his shoulder, shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine when Israel hears Isaiah prophesying these words how exciting this news is that there's going to be a son born and real authority is actually going to rest on his shoulders real authority the government resting as some say and then the language that he uses around this figure I think is beautiful wonderful counselor He's going to console the broken. Mighty God. That's, in the Hebrew, that's probably God is mighty. It's like, you're going to, you're, we're going to look at, not, that's really what it says. Um, it, we're, you are going to look at how the might of God when it comes to this person. Mighty, consoling, everlasting, prince of peace. In the midst of hearing of wars and rumors of wars, Israel, is what they're doing right now. There's someone that's going to come and be mighty. That's going to console us and actually bring us peace. His authority shall grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. This, these were the good old days for Israel. <laughs> David on his throne. A man that actually did love the Lord. It's been a, been a while since then. So to hear this is like, oh my gosh, someone who actually loves God is coming, is bringing endless peace. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's, I know I've said that line a lot. If you want to know what God is zealous for, it is for the rulership of this figure. It is for this figure that Isaiah is talking about to be, to happen, to come. It is for the authority to rest upon him. It is for a kingdom that is actually filled with righteousness and justice. See, all that evil, all the stuff that was coming into the garden, that came into the garden, there's this seed of Eve that might actually crush the serpent's head. There's a seed of Eve that might actually do away with what we did wrong, might actually bring in forever righteousness and justice. That's what God's zealous for. God's zealous to fix those wrongs. But as we end today, what I, I mentioned this earlier, this anointed came and is coming again. And it might be easy for us to read these scriptures and just think about the future and just go, well, God is going to fix it one day. 
and he will. But I want us to ask ourselves during Advent, how do we participate in this reality today because God has brought the kingdom near, right? How do we participate in the idea that if we actually believe that Jesus died, resurrected, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he has been given all authority, right? That's, scriptures say that, right? <laughs> what does that mean for me in little old Murfreesboro, Tennessee? <laughs> what does that mean for my family? What does that mean for my job? What does it mean that authority is actually now resting on his shoulders? How do I participate in that? Because <laughs> that's, that's serious, I think I call this dreaming with God and Isaiah because I think that when Isaiah paints this picture, it gives us a whole lot more imagination to get excited about than going to church on Sunday or reading our Bible. Or Like, I read my Bible and I go to church on Sunday. I love those things. Please. That's, I love that. I love being with y'all. But it's so much more. There's so much more imagination. What does it mean that God is, is, is reigning? What does it mean that there's authority that's resting on him? What does it mean that he's the Prince of Peace? What does it mean that he consoles the brokenhearted? What does it mean that light is entering into very dark places like the land of Zebulun and Naphtali? Are we participating with Christ in that, the Christos in that? I think we are. I think we're st- doing that. And I think we can grow more in that. What does it mean for the authority or government to rest on his shoulders? Could we imagine, I don't know, this is hard. I'm going to have to really believe God. Could we imagine that we could actually affect local government and <laughs> bigger government like that, that believers? I don't know. I don't know, Greg, we've talked about this. Can we actually have a believer who will do righteousness actually get elected to something? <laughs> I don't That would be a miracle from the Lord. But can we dream of people that are participating in the kingdom, having influence and in, in God actually doing things powerfully in our cities, in our towns. That's a big dream. But how can we, can we participate? What does it look like to see this full reign of Christ and us be agents of participating in that right now as we wait for his arrival so that when he comes back, he says, you did a good job. That's what I want. I'm going to say, John, great job, man. You're bringing my kingdom forth. Ah, I just pray that I, oh, I just want to do that. Oh, man, I, no, I love that. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you, Lord, that even though we brought in all kinds of evil and nothing, it was not one bit your fault. Uh, your rescue effort was initiated and you put it all on you to bring healing. And I thank you that you've brought it and that you're continuing to bring it, Lord. My, my prayer today is simply that as we look back and try to identify with Israel and what it meant for your first arrival, the oppression and the things that they were under for years and years and years, and the joy of the arrival of the Messiah, the anointed. And as we look forward to knowing that, Jesus, you promised that you will come again. You promised it. That in the time in between, that we will do everything in our power, submitting to you, only through your power, to initiate your ways, to, to call the Gentiles to participate in your instruction, to help, to bring instruction to the, to the nations that need it, to bring peace to the places that are, that, uh, that are just wrought 
with distress, to bring light into dark places. Increase our imagination, God, during this season. Increase our imagination for what you can do through us. Forgive us for when we've uh, put you in a box and said, well, you can't do that. You can't do, I, I know that I, I struggle with that. There's times where I think, oh, there's no way that can be healed or fixed. But you've showed us that, that, that's, that uh, that's bad thinking. Help us to imagine what it looks like to be a community that continues to journey with you and give us, uh, show us the path and help us to walk it. In Jesus' name, amen.